0: it finally happened Um, after years and years and years we finally got bit by the car bug Uh, my my car was having some issues and I kinda had a sense something bad was gonna happen and I kinda knew there was it wasn't just a simple couple hundred dollar fix and so I took my car to the shop and, and a few hours later my friend Tom who owns the shop he calls me and he said well Travis bad news you need a new transmission and I was kind of like, "All right, I'm kind of expecting this. What's the damage?" And he said, "4,800 bucks." I'm like, "Ugh, 4,800." So for the sake of this conversation, let's just round up to 5,000. And so 5,000 bucks to repair my car. That sucks. And But the thing is, it's not surprising. This is what happens. Cars break. Cars have issues. Life punches us in the face sometimes. That's just what happens. And so this little situation, um, let's just turn something terrible into something good. I have two episodes I want to make about this situation that I'm facing right now. And and, and the first one is this, this, the importance of emergency funds. So my friend Tom calls and says, I own five grand. I don't have five grand in my budget. I mean, that, that that may be my budget. You know, I don't have an extra $5,000 in my budget. This can blow me up. This can blow families up. This does blow families up every day. I walk along so many people that have something like this happen, and it crushes them, and it, there's implications that spiral for years or decades. For decades, this one event can sp- send people into a spiral that, can be disastrous, and for us, we're fortunate that I just get to pay him the money, and we move on with life, and we get to pursue the meaning and not worry about the money. That's what this meaning over money stuff is about, but there's only one way that happens. It's called an emergency fund, and so first, let's just talk about what is an emergency fund. An emergency fund is money intentionally set aside for when, not if, when Life happens. Something is going to happen. Why? Because something always happens. We just don't know when. We don't know what. and We don't know how much. But we do know it's going to happen. So we have money set aside so that when unexpected life happens, we just take that money, we pay for it, and then we get along with our life. We get about the business of living. And we don't let it crush us or send us into a spiral, financially, mentally, emotionally, any of those. We just move on with life. And so an emergency fund is money set aside that you can use when life happens. So where do we keep it? Where do we keep our emergency fund? There's this big push about putting it into a high-interest savings account and or investing it into the stock market, blah, blah, blah. You let your money work for you. Don't throw away free money. But for me, I'm a big believer that the money needs to be accessible. Like, for example, my friend Tom said it was Monday, and he said, Travis, we we hope to have this done on Wednesday. And it would be awfully nice to have a vehicle. My wife and I have been battling all week sharing a vehicle, and that's not fun. It's not fun coordinating kids and everything in, in meetings with one vehicle. Not fun. And so I needed the money and I needed to know where it was, how fast I can get it, and know that it's actually going to be there. I keep my emergency fund in a savings account tied to my checking account. So we have a joint checking account, all money goes in and out of that account, and my emergency fund just sits right next to it. And so I could get on my app and I could say, hey, savings account, send 5,000 to my checking account, and instantly it's there for me. That is a huge deal. Now, what about this whole, shouldn't you make interest? Shouldn't you make money on your money? Well, yes, but that's not what this money is for. This money isn't to make money. This money is to keep your sanity. This money is to to cover up when life happens. So if I were to have my money over here in some other account that's making interest or more interest, great. But what happens when I need it? It may take three, four, five days to get it which is the case for a lot of institution-to-institution transfers, it could take several days. But what if you need it right now? And so for me, I'll give up $20, 30 of interest a year for having my money available. I believe in making money on investing and, and making interest, sure, but not this money. This money is for for security and to cover up the things that need to be covered. Well, what about investing it in the stock market? Well, you know me. I believe in investing. I believe the stock market has provided a long-term 9% return. So if somebody could argue, well, Travis, duh, you could make 9% long-term on your emergency fund. Well, here's the problem. Often, when life happens to us the most, when the most tense things can happen to us, also coincides when the economy's not good. And when the economy's not good, often the stock market's not good. So what happens, and this this happened in 08, this was brutal. When people needed their money most, it was down 50%. When people were losing their job and having all kinds of turmoil, their investments were also in the toilet. And so it was the least opportune time to take their money out when they most needed it. That's not ideal. I believe in investing, but I believe we should invest in a way that we don't have to have that money. We don't have to take it out. It's in there for the long run. So that's why I don't believe in keeping your emergency fund in the stock market. So just wanted to lay a couple of those things out because that's talked about often in this this entire conversation. So here's the conversation, though, that I really want to get into today. This is the question that I get all the time I think about in my own life. And I, I walk couples through it almost daily in my coaching. How much money do I need in my emergency fund? It's the million-dollar question. How much do I need? Because there's a lot of financial gurus all over the place that are saying, well, you need this and you need that. You need this, this many months of expenses. Will you need this many, month, many months' worth of your income. Or you need this dollar amount. And I think they're probably decent guidelines out there. I think there's some rules of thumb that that are probably helpful and I think you could easily follow. But how much do you need? How much do I need? Every situation is so different. It's not a one size fits all. Our lives are structured in such different ways. And I'm going to share a couple considerations to think about. And these things all impact that question, how much do I need in my emergency fund? For example, what, what about medical situations? Do you have any medical issues or ongoing medical needs? Or job losses. If, if you lose a job, that could cause an emergency. So, so medical, medical things could really break you. Job losses could break you. A disability, ooh, disability. If you get disabled, not only can you not work, but you have added expenses, that's a big emergency. Maybe you have car issues, ooh, a car issue like mine, $5,000, new transmission, like that's an issue. Or you have a house issue. Houses break too, and houses break, it's really expensive. And so those are the things that, that could happen to you medical emergency job emergency disability emergency car emergency house emergency there's more t- there's more than that but those are the ones that we most often see okay so let's think about let's think about the medical one for example medical emergencies are largely unexpected you know a, a kid a kid falls breaks their arm Um, You know, all of a sudden you're in the hospital, maybe you have an emergency, um, um, an ambulance, and all of a sudden, bang, there's 20 grand. Like, that stuff can, can creep up on us. We don't have control over medical emergencies. Now, some of us have known medical issues or known medical risks. We do. But medical emergencies are so unexpected most of the time. And so we need to look at things like, okay, what about your medical insurance? What does that look like? what's your coverage? What's your deductible? If you have the worst medical day of your life, what what can happen to you? And for example, back in 2011, I I uh, tore a tendon and shattered a joint on the bottom of my foot, and it was a crippling injury. And I was on crutches for six weeks. I didn't walk for for maybe three months. And I went from perfectly healthy to about thirty thousand in medical expenses in a matter of two weeks, so that hit heavy that hit heavy but I had health insurance so when we when we think about medical we have to look at our health insurance what's your deductible and your deductible being how much do you owe before medical insurance kicks in and then once it kicks in how much do you still owe and that number is called your out- of pocket max what's the the out- of pocket max is in a given year, what's the worst damage you could have? What's the most you would have to spend on medical costs before the insurance company takes care of everything? And so for, for us, and in the insurance that my family has right now, it's about ten grand. And for most people, it's less than that. We chose a higher one. And so we, d- we need to know. So for medical, what does our health insurance look like? That's important. And so the thing maybe to go take a step back, is we need to figure out what's the worst thing that can happen. And I should have said this a little bit ago. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit out of place here. But as we're looking at these things, medical is the first one, we have to ask ourselves, what's the worst that can happen? And so for me in this example, the worst medically that could happen is about 10 grand. That's the worst that could happen in a given year for us, ten grand. And so you need to look at that in your own life and say, okay, medical, what's the worst that can happen? All right, the next one, back to our, our list of, of potential emergencies, a job loss. Every situation is different, and we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is, what is my situation? How many incomes do you have? Do both spouses work? Do you have multiple jobs? Do you have other income sources? Those things all matter. Both couples working full-time plus having a couple other streams of income is a world away from a single-income family where everything is dependent on the one income. Those two could not be more different from each other. And so we need to look at our situation and say, okay, if one of us loses our job, what does that look like? And so we do that in the coaching. What we do is we say, okay, spouse one, you lose your job. Can your family survive? What does that look like? What's the shortfall? Spouse two. If you lose your job, what does that look like? Does the, can the family survive? And what's the shortfall? Or what if you both lose your job? Could that happen? What are the chances of that happening? How, how similar are your jobs? Do you work in the same company? Do you work in the same industry? Great questions to ask. And so we figure out, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Number three, a disability disability is crippling. I always recommend disability insurance. I would maybe argue disability insurance is more important than life insurance. We are far more likely to become disabled than we are to to pass away at a younger age. And the implications to our family are even more severe. If we pass away, we're gone. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to make light of this, um, and it's kind of morbid, but if we pass away, we're gone. If we're disabled, we don't make money and we're still there and we're probably incurring a lot of medical expenses. It's heavy. It's heavy on families. And I, and, I, I, and I pray that my family doesn't have to go through that. So the question is, do you have disability insurance? I hope so. Often our employers are starting to give it to us for free more and more. And so to look at that in your job, do you have disability insurance? And It's usually a percentage of your income. Often it's 65%. If you become disabled, you'll get 65% of your income in disability. So that's a big one to be to be aware of. Right, car issues. Car issues, they're going to happen. They are going to happen. So what's, what's the worst-case scenario? Think about that in your own life. If you drive a brand-new car with a warranty, that's a different consideration than somebody who drives a, a vehicle with a couple hundred thousand miles on it. That's a different conversation. Now, I'm not saying that we should drive a brand new vehicle with a warranty, and that's better than driving a used car. And, and we'll talk about that in the next episode on, on this, this topic. But that, that does impact things. So if you have a couple vehicles and they're used, you just know something could happen. Sure. I mean, something can happen to any vehicle, honestly. Um, I have people, I have clients with newer vehicles that are expensive vehicles that are experiencing a lot of repair issues. So we know that the car issue can happen. So the question is, okay, what's worst case scenario? And I think for a lot of us, worst case is probably what I just experienced. I think worst case is a $5,000 event where it doesn't totally your car out and it still makes sense to fix it. That, that's probably on the higher end of what can happen on a vehicle. I know there's exceptions to that. I'm not a car guy, but there are exceptions. I'm just trying to put some definition around this. And then houses, do you own or do you rent? If you rent, you have no downside, you have none. I'm a renter right now, no downside, it's beautiful. I like not having downside on on my house with emergencies um, when I'm renting. But if you own a house, there's a lot of things. If your furnace or your air conditioner go out or your water heater, or you have structural issues, ooh, structural issues, or your roof, there's so many different things that can get you. So we need to make sure we're accounting for that because it will happen at some point, and it'll happen when you, you least need it to be happening. So those are the things. Going through our, our different risks, medical, job loss, disability, car issues, house issues, five things, you may have others. Think about yours and ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? What could break us? What could bring us down? Ask yourself those questions. As you assess those, you can figure out, okay, what's the worst that can happen to us? And for some of us, it's on the job side. For some of us, it's car issues. For some, it's house issues. But figuring out, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? And then we protect against that thing. That's what we protect against. So you'll see it's not a one size fits all. It's not a, you you need this many months of your expenses or you need this many months worth of your income or this is the flat amount you need. And maybe back to this conversation of how much do I need in my emergency fund? We need to set parameters. We need to set boundaries. And there's, there's really three reasons why setting a boundary is important having a number and knowing what your number is and and committing to that number and then simply moving on with life. So, first, if we don't have a set number, we're just going to keep putting more money towards it and it will inevitably delay the more important things in our life. If we keep thinking we need to put more money in our emergency fund because we don't have any parameters, then... We're going to not make progress on the things that we really want to make progress on. Saving for an emergency sucks. It just does. It's probably after paying off debt, it sucks the most. Um, Debt's the worst. Saving for emergencies sucks too. So getting that amount, knowing your boundaries, and then moving on to the better stuff. That's what we want to do. We don't want to make saving for emergencies a perpetual thing that we do. We haven't saved for our emergency fund in over a decade. It just is. Also, if we don't have parameters around it, we can turn into a hoarder. We can feel like there's no amount of money that's enough. And then we save more, and we save more. Because if, if this amount makes us feel secure, then this much more will make us more secure, and then that much more will make us even more secure. And next thing you know, you have so much more money than you ever need in there, and you still don't feel good about it. I've walked alongside families that have 100000 in their emergency fund. A quarter million, a half million, over a million dollars in their emergency fund. And I can tell you this, it wasn't enough for them. Because they got in the mode of hoarding. And once we do that, more is never enough. And so I really encourage you to set those boundaries. Also, back to this idea of, well, you need your money to work for you. I agree, just not your emergency fund. So we need to set parameters on our emergency fund, then put our money in our emergency fund, and then let the other money work for you. We need to give generously and spend on some fun things and then put money to work for you. So we need the parameters so that once we fill that bucket, then we can put money to work for us, totally. And so that's why this conversation is so important. And so as you're assessing your own situation, you know, what what could happen medically to us? What could happen if we lose a job? What can happen if we become disabled or we have car issues or house issues or the other issues that you define in your own life? And then assessing, okay, what's the number for us? And I'm going to share two examples. These are recent examples that I've worked through with families and I'm just going like, to pull back the curtain a little bit and give you a sense for how our conversation went. And that might help you in your own discernment process. So here's example one. Young single person, early in their career. They have an employment contract at their work. They, they feel like their job's pretty safe. Their household expenses are about 1500 a month. So not, not that much. Pretty 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 low living expenses, honestly, two thousand if they get real crazy. Uh, they have a they have a newer, fairly reliable vehicle, and so they feel pretty good about their vehicle. they don't they don't see foresee any known issues. They rent an apartment, they get disability insurance provided through their work. Great. They have solid medical insurance that they really think is good. The deductible is super low. Really, really good insurance. Great. It's a great, great policy. This person's a teacher, by the way. Great setup in life as a teacher. And so we had this conversation. And where we landed is we were going to have $5,000 in their emergency fund. So how do we get to $5,000? Well, we, we kind of asked the question, okay, what would break you? What's the worst that could happen? And, and what we landed on, probably their worst case scenario is they had a major issue with their car. If something were to happen, their transmission goes out, like me, and and they have to repair that. And that's not, you know, 5000 is not in this teacher's budget, clearly. And so 5000 is is probably that worst case scenario. They don't own a home, so they don't have any risk there. And they feel good about their employment, and... They have disability insurance, they have good medical insurance, so they have, they have a lot of the bases covered. And so we kind of thought to ourselves okay, 5,000 is probably the worst that can happen. And if so, no job is safe, no job is safe. And so if, if that person were to lose their job, it would cover probably about three months worth of, of their living expenses, which is a low probability outcome. And so we thought okay, five grand, that's the number. And then my encouragement to them was, as life changes, because life will change, reassess. Reassess your emergency fund and what the worst-case scenario is and what the bigger context is. And so that's example number one. Example number two, it's a little bit more complicated because as we get older, life becomes more complicated. So here's the, here's the scenario. We have a husband and wife, two little, little kids. The wife works for a corporation, and the husband stays at home. Husband stays at home with their two little kids. Um, wife, has, wife has a really, really cool job, really good job. They own a house. They own two SUVs. The wife has disability insurance through her job. The husband could get, this is important, the husband could get a job, a pretty good job, if he chose to. If, if, they, wanted, if they wanted him to work, he could go get a, a pretty decent job, theoretically. They have about $50,000 in taxable investments in a, in index funds. So they believe long-term, 8 9%. And that money, they don't want to touch it, but if they had to, they could. Not the intent. That's not their emergency fund, but we know it's there. They err on, on more of a conservative side. I think they're, there's some anxiety a little bit, and and I think they get nervous, and they don't they 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 kind of run through scenarios in their head, well, what if this happens, and what if that happens? And so just knowing, okay, you're more conservative, that's worth knowing that's important and so, as we started talking we we landed on they would keep about twenty eight thousand in their emergency fund and here's how they got this: If the wife were to lose her job, it would be about two to three months worth of, of their expenses, of their full, full lifestyle, two to three months of their full lifestyle. So they elected to keep 28,000 in their emergency fund. So here's how they got there. Ideally, they don't want the husband to go back to work right now. There's some other things he's trying to accomplish and loves being at home with the little, little kids. So ideally he wouldn't have to go back. So let's err on the side of being conservative. If the wife, lost her job, she anticipates, let's just assume it's going to take th- two to three months to get back into a, another good job for her, and so four months of expenses of their full lifestyle equates to $28,000, $7,000 a month times four, 28000 so in that scenario, they feel like, okay. We think it'll take two to three months to get back into a job if the worst case of, of the wife losing her job happens. And so we have four months worth. Okay, that's error on the side of, of caution, but it's a number and it's, it's some parameters. So 28,000 is 7,000 times four. So they feel pretty good about that. And so they also look at their house and they're like, okay, the, the roof is getting a bit dated. We might need to replace the roof at some point hopefully not now but that's probably going to cost 20 grand. It's probably going to cost 20 grand to replace the roof and hopefully we have control over when that happens but if something were to, were to happen like we need to make sure we're protected. So 20,000, it's less than 28. They feel pretty good about that. Also, there's other things, you know, like their their furnace, their air conditioner, their water softener, you know, one of these could be, you know, 8 to 10 grand. So those all fall within that $28,000, and so as they were t- we were taking an inventory of all the risks in their life, $28,000, it might be a little conservative, but it really works for them. And as soon as we landed on that number and they committed to it, the air in the room changed. They felt better. They felt like they had a plan. And so $28,000 was the number. They didn't quite have $28,000, and so then... They, they decide, okay, let's save up over the next few months. Let's build it up to 28,000, and then we'll be done with it. We'll just move on with life. And that's what they're going to do. And so you can see between those two stories you have this young single person who lands on five grand and feels totally fine with it. And then you have another family that got up to 28 grand and ended up feeling fine with it. Those are two very different numbers, and they got there in different ways. There were different factors and considerations. There was a different mindset. There was a different anxiety level tied to it. And so those are the ways we got to each of those conclusions. And so that's what they're going to do. And so what I also encourage that second family to do is, okay, continue to reassess. Reassess what you need. If the husband gets a different job or, if, or if, the wife, if the wife gets a different job or the husband gets a job or when the kids are, are older or whatever that may be, whatever happens, we reassess then and we decide, what do we need? Because, again, it's not about the money. Money's never about money. It's always about something bigger. But when emergencies happen, and they will happen, we don't want to dwell on it. If I were to dwell on this $5,000 repair bill on my car, it would ruin my week. It would, it would mess me up. I'd be so frustrated. I'd probably carry some anger. But I don't. I was seriously mad about it for 90 seconds. By the time we got off the phone, me and my, my, my car guy, I was fine. I was already back to normal. And I just jumped on my app. I said, hey, send this money from my emergency fund into my checking account, and then now I'm anticipating a phone call to come pick up my car. I'm going to go pick up my car. I'm going to pay him, and I'm going to move on. It's a nothing burger. And it's weird to think that a $5,000 unexpected expense that really adds no value to my life can be a nothing burger. But when we do this emergency fund stuff well, It turns something that could decimate our lives and send us into a tailspin into something that's really a non-event. That's the win. It's not ideal. It's not what I would have wished, but that's the way it can and should play out in your life if you're adequately prepared. So I hope this episode helped. I hope that, that some of these tips will help you figure out what's the right number for you. And then once you do, Put that money aside in a place where you can access it very quickly and simply move on with life because it's not about the money, it's about the meaning. That's all I have for today, guys. If you'd like to connect with us outside of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, Meaning Over Money. You can find me, Travis Shelton, on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. We're now starting to put old podcast episodes, full HD video on YouTube, and eventually we'll catch up and we'll put... We'll simultaneously post our our audio and video podcasts um, on the same day. It's going to be great. We're looking forward to that. Or you can find us at Meaning Over Money, which is our financial course for young adults, where we teach young adults how to live for the meaning and not for the money. And that's at meaningover.money. And as our way of saying thank you for listening to the podcast, if you decide to buy a course, please don't pay full price. If you use the promo code podcast25, podcast Twenty. Five, you can save 25% off of, off of any of our courses. And that's our way of saying thank you. And But if you're not interested in that, that's okay. We're just glad that you're here, and we hope it continues to add value to your journey. Take care, guys. <laughs>